The following comes to you through podbean.com. In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Here we go. Wednesday. Welcome to In the Artist Realm with yours truly. I am indie author Sylvia Stein. Welcome to the show. I wanted to first and foremost apologize for not having the show on a few weeks. It's been uh, a very bad couple of weeks uh, with the colds, the kids, uh, myself. I've been having allergy difficulties, so I'm trying to take it a little bit, step at a time, getting some rest and not trying to overdo things. So I do apologize and I, uh, I hope to bring you more podcasts as we go. Right now, I'm only working on the writing tips section. And I hope to bring you more of the one-on-one interviews in November, starting back on that. But um, for today, I wanted to go back to when we discussed uh, the book by writing tools, uh, by, sorry, by author Roy Peter Clark, Writing Tools, 50 Essential Strategies for Every Writer. We had talked about tool one, beginning sentences with subjects and verbs. And I had said we, I wanted to do the workshop questions on each of the tools. Today, I want to just try to get through the first five on uh, the paperback version of the book call, uh, that's on page 14 and go through those questions to try to link them to the lesson that we did. Because I think it's important when you get a writing tip from an author... I really like that uh, Roy Peter Clark has the element of, a, of workshop questions kind of for you to work on as an author because who doesn't benefit from uh, working on tools to help them better themselves, right? So I thought it would be great to go through them, but I wanted to give a small recap on uh, what we discussed of the last section so that when, when we answer the questions, we're not lost. Um, the episode for the beginning tools or tool one are in the, uh, are available to download through potbean.com and uh, they should uh, you should be able to read or listen in about what was discussed and you could also read it from the book if you have the paperback. I have the um, I think he has an updated version now. I got mine through Amazon, the paperback because I really enjoy paperback books, not that I don't Kindle, but, it's a lot easier for me to hold the book. But again, Kindle now has this uh, way where you can highlight your notes, and uh, which could make it easier. So I don't know if that's, uh, that's another option you have, which, which you do have that option. What am I saying? But if that's another way to kind of look, look through the book. So sorry. Uh, <clears throat> trying to say too much at once, and now I'm kind of getting my, my words tongue-tied. But... For now, I'm using the paperback, and if you look on page 14 of the 50 Essential Strategies for Every Writer, the Writing Tools book by Roy Peter Clark, um, we're going to go through those questions today. But to recap, 
on when we begin sentences with subjects and verbs. This is uh, found on tool one, just uh, the way he labels his chapters. Make meaning early, then later weaker, then later weaker elements branch to the right. This is what Roy Peter Clark states. Now, uh, for those of you that don't know, Roy Peter Clark is a writer who teaches and a teacher who writes. It's is is vice president and senior scholar of the Pointner Institute, one of the most prestigious schools for journalists in the world. He has written or edited many books about writing and journalism. And he has spoken about the writer's craft on the Oprah Winfrey show, NPR, and today. So just to give a recap on who Roy Peter Clark is, and it was one of the books highly recommended by the great Stephen King on writing in his book, uh, The Memoir of, of the Craft that he wrote. Um, and we will be discussing that later on in the, the weeks to come as well. But for today, not to get off track, we're gonna we're gonna discuss what beginning sentences with subjects and verbs are briefly, so we can go to the first question. It, he, as he said, and I said in the previous podcast, you imagine a sentence, you write, print it. Uh, imagine a sentence, you write, print it on the world's widest piece of paper. In English, a sentence stretches from left to right. Now imagine this. A writer composes a sentence with subject and verb at the beginning, followed by other subordinate elements, creating what scholars call a right-branching sentence. So he says, I just created one. Subject and verb of the main clause join on the left. A writer composes while all other elements branch to the right. So if, to show an example, we discussed about, uh, he uses a, a news story by Lydia Paul Green from the New York Times, taken. And he reads it this way. Rebels seize control of Cap Hayton, Haitian, Haiti's second largest city on Sunday, meeting little resistance as hundreds of residents cheered, burned the police station, plundered food from port warehouses, and looted the airport, which, which was quickly closed. Police officers and armed supporters a President John Bertrand Artisite fled. So, as he discussed before, he says, the fir that first sentence contains 37 words and ripples with action. The sentence is so full, in fact, that it threatens to fly apart like an overheated engine, he says. But the writer guides the reader by capturing meaning in the first three words. Rebels seize control that that think in other words think of the main clause or that sentence as a locomotive locomotive that pulls all the cars that flow so basically that's the example he gives on this and if we go into page 14 so we can kind of give our own example he asks us to read number one read through the new york times or your local newspaper i took a few articles off of the New York Times online, I, I have that. And I, I'm gonna read you a few of the sentences that I feel are kind of similar to what they're talking about. So let's start with a rare source of accord and debate in Syria. The pair called for a more aggressive American response to the conflict, such as setting up zones in the country to protect civilians. So uh, basically, 
that wouldn't be a good example of what we're trying to say. So let's move on to a, a better sentence here. Could officers have avoid... Okay, uh, let me see here. Uh, I think that one doesn't have... Let me see. Here it is. A French underground railroad moving African immigrants. Uh, let me look at this sentence here. Okay. We can read, a farmer and his network of citizen smugglers have helped hundreds cross the border in a personal response to his nation's muddled handling of the crisis. So this is in regards to a French underground railroad that's moving African uh, migrants. Okay, let's see if we can try to read more on this. Give me one moment here. Okay, let's try. It's not opening up. Let me try the hub post. And my apologies on that. It. Uh, I was hoping I could read those articles. So that's not those. I haven't seen a good example. I want an article that has those sentences that can actually be compared to the the one I just read you. Let me try on the Huffington Post and see what is going on in the world here. See here, see. Okay. Okay. Here we go. 2016 Nobel Prize in Chemistry awarded to Jean-Pierre Sauvage, Sir J. Fraser Stoddart, and Bernard L. Feringa. Jean-Pierre Sauvage of France, Sir J. Fraser Stoddart of Scotland, and Bernard L. Feringa of the Netherlands, of the Netherlands, Netherlands were awarded the 2016 Nobel Prize in Chemistry on Wednesday. On Wednesday. The prize given by the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences was presented for the design and synthesis, synthesis of molecular machines. They have developed molecules with controllable movements which can perform a task when energy is added, the Academy said in a statement. So here, this is a perfect sentence because it talks about the subject, Jean-Pierre Sauvage, Sir J. Fraser, and Bernard L. Feringa. They, it talks about them and they were given a, the Nobel Peace Prize in chemistry and it, and then it goes on to say they have developed molec uh, molecules with controllable movements which can perform a tax, uh, task when energy is added. So that is a good example of more or less, it's not exactly like uh, the one Lydia Paul Green wrote, but it kind of gives a depiction of, of what, you know, to look for subject and verb. So when you read you can try to uh, find or mark the locations of the subjects and verbs. So that would be one example. And I advise you to look into your newspaper, whether it be your local newspaper, whether it be your, uh, your, uh, 
the local newspaper, uh, the New York Times, if you have it. Mine couldn't open up, so I apologize for the mishap on that. I was able to open the Huffington Post, but my New York Times one did not open. And then, uh, or your, your local newspaper, like I have the News and Observer here in North Carolina. Um, there's different types of newspapers out there, so make sure to look for those to practice. Now, let's try to do the same with examples of your own writing. So, so we can give depictions of subjects and verbs. I'm going to go into the example, the next uh, section that we had covered. And this is uh, with John Steinbeck's example that he uses here in his book. So that way you all know what I'm talking about. For those that had not tuned into the last podcast. That first sent, uh, he goes into that pulls the cars that follow, which is the first example we gave. Now, it's, he's, he goes on to say, Master writers can craft page after page of sentences written in this structure. Consider a passage by John Steinbeck from Canary Row describing the routine of a marine scientist named Doc. The emphasis is mine, he says. This is Roy Peter Clark, and he uses the example by Steinbeck, John Steinbeck, one of the greats with uh, his book, Canary Row. And this is the example. He didn't need a clock. He had been working in a tidal pattern so long that he could feel a tide change in his sleep. In the dawn, he awakened, looked out through the windshield, and saw that the water was already retreating down the bouldery flat. He drank some hot coffee, ate three sandwiches, and had a quart of beer. So, and then he gives another example. The tide goes out imperceptibly. Uh, the boulders show and seem to rise up, and the ocean recedes, leaving little pools, leaving wet weed and moss and sponge. Iridescence and brown and blue and, and china red. On the bottom lie the incredible refuse of the sea, shells broken and shipped and bits of skeleton, claws, the whole sea bottom, a fantastic cemetery on which the living scamper and scramble. So Steinbeck places subject and verb at or near the beginning of his sentence. Clarity and narrative, narrative energy flow through the passage. As one sentence builds another, he avoids monotony by including the occasional brief introductory phrase in the dawn, by varying the lengths of his sentence, a writing tool we will consider later. Subject and verb are often separated in prose, usually because we want to tell the reader something about the subject before we get to the verb. But we're not going to go into that yet. We're going to discuss about uh, how he puts the subject and verb in the beginning. And that'll be the second question in the writing tool. If you go back to page 14, do the same with the examples of your writing. So we're going to try to find and mark subjects and verbs. So I'm going to try to find some in Closure, the book I wrote, uh, my first novella, and see if I can find an example of what they're doing here. I'm going to read from page 1, from chapter 1, the first page, and it's a diary entry by Sarah, which is the main character of Closure. 
Dear Diary, I will never forget the day my mother passed away. I can recall that moment as if it were yesterday. My life changed forever. There was, there was once a time when I thought life was perfect. After all, my mother and father were high school sweethearts. It seemed like they would be together forever. So here, there was once a time I could say, I thought my life was perfect. After all, my mother and father were high school sweethearts. It seemed like they would be together forever. But I could also change it to, I thought life was perfect. It seemed, give me a moment here. Okay, my apologies for that brief music playing in the background. Must have hit one of the notes. It says, I, I thought life was perfect. My mother and father were high school sweethearts. All seemed like they would be together forever. Or I could also say, uh, read the next sentence. Mother developed breast cancer. It runs in her side of the family. And some, something I must watch for. Breast cancer is not, is not the monster. However, breast cancer is not the monster of my nightmares. That monster is my father. So here, we're trying to look at uh, sentences to begin and verbs to start with. So I need to give you a better example of that. It kind of is, but that's not what we're looking for right now. That's part of the novella for closure, which is very dramatic, and I hope you'll read it. But we're trying to find subjects and verbs. So let me read from chapter two. And this is Sarah, the main character. She looked around the once lively home for a sweet reminder of better times. She and her mother would walk hand in hand and choose which flowers to bring inside. Now the windows were closed and the vase that usually held flowers sat empty. No matter where Sarah looked, there was no sign of happiness or life. So this is a better example because she, meaning Sarah, looked around the once lively home for a sweet reminder of better times. She and her mother would walk hand in hand and choose which flowers to bring inside. Now the windows were closed. The windows which is the subject closed and then the vase that usually held flowers sat empty. No matter where she looked, there was no signs of happiness or life. So just by that, you know that, that her life is tragic. She just discussed about her mother passing away, about, you know, her mother had, had suffered through breast cancer. So those, that, those were sentences where it kind of gives a little em emphasis into by the subject and verb kind of interacting of the samples of what Roy Peter Clark was using when he used Steinbeck's example. Now we're going to go to the last one, which is subject and verb are often separated in prose, usually because we want to tell the reader something about the subject before we get to the verb. This delay, even for good reasons, risks confusing the, re the reader. Sorry, With care, it can work. So he, he gives an example here of Anna Quinlan's memoir, How Reading Changed My Life. You know, um, So here we're going to um, see where uh, subject and verb sometimes have to be separated. We all do that when we write. 
but sometimes it can work. So here's the example that he gives. The stories about my childhood, the ones that stuck, that got told and retold at dinner tables to date, as I sat by red, red face to my own children, by my father later on, are stories of running away. So begins Anna Quinlan's memoir, How Reading Changed My Life, a lead sentence with 31 words between subject and verb. When the topic is more technical, the typical effect of separation is confusing, exemplified by this clumsy effort. So here with Anna Quinlan's memoir, it works. The stories about my childhood, the ones that stuck, they got told and retold at dinner tables to dates as I sat by red face to my own uh, red face with my own children by my father later on are stories of running away. That works because it it uh, separated, but it, it can work because she does it by putting commas in between and retold the dinner tables comma to date as I sat by red face comma to my own children by my father later on comma are stories of running away. So this works, but the technical example here that we're, I'm going to read you does not. A bill that would exclude tax income from the access value of new homes from the state education funding formula could mean a loss of revenue for Chesapeake County schools. 18 words separate the subject bill from its weak verb could mean a fatal blow, a, f a fatal flaw that turns what could be an important civic story into gibberish. The writer wants to create suspense, he says, or build tension or make the reader wait and wonder or join a journey of discovery or hold on for dear life. He can save subject and verb of the main clause until later, as I just did. Now, uh, basically here he gives an example of a former student to show this example. Kelly Benham, a former student of his, reached for his tool when called on to write the obituary of Terry Chiavo. Now, if you don't know about Terry Chiavo, she was a woman whose long illness and controversial death became the center of an international debate about the end of life. Now, let me read the example of why he feels this works and it doesn't turn into gibberish. This is the example that Kelly Benham, a former student of, of Roy Peter Clark gives. Before the prayer warriors, Massed outside her window, comma, before gavels pounded in six courts, comma, before the Vatican issued a statement, comma, before the president signed a midnight law and the Supreme Court turned its head, comma, Terry Schiavo was just an ordinary girl, comma, with two overweight cats, an unglamorous job, and a typical American life. By delaying the main subject and verb, the writer tightens the tension between a celebrated cause and an ordinary girl. This variation works only when most sentences branch to the right, a pattern that creates meaning, momentum, and literary power. The brilliant room collapses, writes Carol Shields in the Stone Diaries. So here, before we go into Carol Shields, by delaying, he says, the main subject and verb, the writer tightens the tension between a celebrated cause and an ordinary girl. So here you see the example and why it works beautifully because instead of dealing with a controversy which was about the late Terry Schiavo, it goes more into who she was before the controversy occurs. And the student is able to 
do that by going into the tools that uh, Roy Peter Clark showed them about how to get this uh, properly said or and, and not confuse it like the other uh, um, technical uh, writing that was used uh, uh, that basically was clumsily, clumsily written mostly because it was written all without commas. It didn't have anything variation in between. Maybe if they would have said a bill that would exclude tax income comma, from the access value of new homes, comma, and, this, and from the state education funding formula uh, meant a loss of revenue for Chesapeake County schools. Instead of could mean, it meant that, or use another stronger verb that would have probably worked for, um, for the, uh, the example that was given uh, here uh, on what Roy Peter Clark was using on his book. So how do we move on to the uh, next question? Do the same with your draft. If you're working on a draft of uh, any type of writing, try to kind of use these tools, subjects and verbs, to kind of, you know, practice the delay or the, the subjects and verbs together. The next time you struggle with a sentence, rewrite it by placing subject and verb at the beginning. That would be another way. And then for dramatic variation, write a sentence with subject and verb near the end. Like try to do it where you delay it, kind of like the way that um, um, uh, when you delay something, like the example I gave you on Anna Quinlan's memoir, you know, she says the story about my childhood, the ones that stuck, that got told and retold at dinner tables, and these are separated by commas, to date, as I sat by red face, comma, to my own children by my father later on, comma, are stories of running away. So she waits and writes the verb later. She writes about the stories, but then delays the verb, and it works perfectly. And you can practice those by uh, using these examples right by Roy Peter Clark. And I gave you the example, uh, as I discussed in the last podcast, of uh, with... Uh, the example of uh, John Steinbeck. I gave you the example of Lydia Paul Green. I read you an example on the Huffington Post where it talks about the Nobel Prize in Chemistry awarded to John Pierre Savage, Sir J. Fraser Stoddart, and Bernard L. Faringa. And, uh, and then, of course, there's other articles. You could go into the debates. And with everything that's going on in our country, you know, the controversial stuff with, you know, there's a lot of articles in there that you can look at that uh, kind of deal with the controversy, you know, that arises here. And you could try to look at those sentences and verbs and your own manuscripts, as I read you from Closure, Sarah, my, my own novella, but you could choose to use your own draft and your own examples as well. So I really hope you have enjoyed this writing workshop tip. If you have any questions that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at philstein. 07 at gmail.com you could also um uh look for us on facebook in the artist realm with sylvia stein at our facebook page i am working on a twitter page and a a uh, fan uh a newsletter for us so you all could keep in contact i will have the next portion of the workshop hopefully by uh next week and right now, like I said, I'm only sticking to the writing tips once a week. I will get back to the one-on-one -on -one interviews on Fridays. I hope that I can start them back in November. But for now, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. 
thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you like the garage, garage band jingle or that I played. Um, and uh, I'm working on new stuff as we go. And I really hope you have enjoyed this podcast. And again, this is In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Thank you very much for joining us and happy Wednesday. I will leave you with a nice jingle from GarageBand, 44th Street Long. Here we go. following came to you through podbean.com in the artist realm with sylvia stein join us again